You're listening to Story Warriors, the podcast that helps you craft great stories. Whether you're pitching investors, preparing a conference talk, writing copy, or even a book, a powerful story will help you connect with your audience and encourage them to take action. Thanks for joining Story Warriors. I'm your host, Jack Vincent. My guest today is a champion for women, and I don't just mean equal rights or equal in the workplace, but in a much more critically important area of health. She's a social entrepreneur in the area of health equity for women. She's been listed as one of the top 100 women in medtech, a top woman activist to watch. She's been awarded the 2019 Africa Development Award and a Wonder Woman in medtech. In 2016, Marissa founded Her Health Q, a nonprofit social enterprise whose mission is to drive health equity for women by providing medical equipment to developing nations. Marissa Fair, thanks for joining me on this episode of Story Warriors. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me. Now, it was just about a year ago that you and I were in Lugano for TEDx, and your talk really moved me for a lot of reasons. But I'm going to start with almost a silly one, a woman engineer. Now, you're much younger than me, but it was a couple of decades ago that you studied engineering at BU. Were you like a nerd as a kid? Tell me about that. Tell me about your drive to be an engineer. (laughs) Um, Yes, was always a nerd. I was always really interested in science and technology and math. Um, I aspired to be an astronaut. I actually went to school thinking that I was going to be an astronaut. So that's really exciting. And then I realized uh, I really kind of didn't like (laughs) all of the different uh, courses. It was very theoretical. And unfortunately, my eyesight wasn't perfect. And back then, they didn't allow corrective surgery. So switching, thank goodness, to manufacturing engineering. But yeah, I always loved the curiosity of science. I'm still a space nerd, so it's never gone away. I'm not with the program. And so I always loved curiosity, loved finding out new things. I was really into science, into math, and discovering new ways of doing things. And so to me, naturally, that was engineering. I mean, I didn't know what engineering was. Somebody just told me that's what it was. So I went to school for it. What drove you to it, though? So nobody told you what it was. What was driving you to engineering? It was the path to to become an astronaut. So aerospace engineering was a path to work at NASA. So I went to school specifically for aerospace engineering. After the first year, I switched out of aerospace engineering straight to manufacturing engineering, which is a mix of business and engineering. It was just, it was more like hands-on. We were able to, you know, get into the lab and make something instead of running 100 experiments on a piece of paper. And this was in the late 90s, so there weren't as many fancy contraptions as there are today. My son is starting ETH, E-T-H in Zurich next week, and he's going in for mechanical engineering. And he says, if you're an aerospace engineer, you can only work in aerospace. If you're a mechanical engineer, you can work in aerospace. You can work in nuclear energy and, 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 and. I get the feeling that mechanical engineering is the same way. You can choose a lot of paths once you, once you get into manufacturing engineering. Yeah, they're very similar. You can go into anything. And I ironically went into healthcare. It was never something I thought about. Just was, I interned a few times at some aerospace companies and I decided, 
mm, well, it's a downturn in the economy. I don't want to have to always every few years worry about my job. Thankfully, I was recruited out by a, a healthcare company. Once you get into healthcare, you almost never leave. You know that you're helping somebody. You know you're doing something exciting. And the industry is always up. There's different companies that go up and down, but the industry itself is always up and there's innovation. And when did the focus on women's health start? I don't know if it was a particular moment, but it was very evolutionary. It just happened. I'm, I'm a woman who's involved in engineering and in science. So I was always very interested and always supportive of STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math programs. And I used to help kids and, and you know, tutor with that, especially when I was in engineering school and then afterwards. And then I started to work at a healthcare company that focused only on women's health. It was like a light bulb, like something just, this is it. This is what I should be doing. It matches everything I wanted to do with women and girls with the technology side. I understand that you were also working in Costa Rica. Yeah, Hologic. So it was Hologic. a women's health company and still is. It's the largest company in the world focused solely on women's health. And I spent nine years of my career there. It was the best decision I've ever made. And thank goodness I was able to, to move around quite extensively. I was able to work on a lot of really exciting projects. I worked in the development of the 3D mammography system that's out in the world now, and I was involved with a lot of different acquisitions. One of them happened to bring me down to Costa Rica, and I wound up living there for three years. Changed my life immensely. How did that change your life immensely? Okay, I'm an American living abroad. Things have changed in my life because you just happened to move there. So I get that. But was there a moment that something ticked? Did something happen that pulled you in? As all good stories start, it happened at a bar. That was my kind of watershed moment was a conversation that I had with a friend of mine. We were sitting in a bar just having a great Friday night. She was focused on cancer in Costa Rica where I was living. And she was telling me the story of what she's been working on, just like catching up as friends. And she told me about this whole area of Costa Rica that didn't have a mammography machine and they were just dying of breast cancer at alarming rates. I just finished the development of a 3D mammography system up in the US. I moved down to Costa Rica doing other different products. I knew that there were products available and people returning older pieces of equipment to get this fancy schmancy new 3D system. Naturally, as a 31-year-old who's very cavalier, you know, I just said, great. Let's figure out how to get you one. It completely changed my life and set me on the path, obviously, that I am on now. I still continue to work in corporate for many years. But that was the one moment, a bar, as usual, all good ideas come from there and changed my life. What was it about getting a machine down to Costa Rica that was such a pivotal moment, such a, a life-changing moment? So I realized that there were so many pieces of equipment and medical equipment that oftentimes get thrown away. We're not talking about pharmaceuticals. We're talking about plastic and metal that is put together. These things last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. A lot of really nice hospitals want returns and want the newest ones every two to three years. That's actually in their contract. And so I said, and I knew that there was equipment coming back. So what happened was 
I approached our team, our legal team, our marketing team, our development team, our operations team, all of these people that I worked with in the States. I said, this is ridiculous. Like this is a country in which we have 500 employees. Why would we not help their own country? Why would we throw a piece of equipment away? Or why would we decommission it and take it for parts when we can help so many people? That was the moment where I realized you can repurpose equipment. And I always knew that you could, but I kind of never figured out how I fit into that spot. What were the numbers in this region prior to the machine getting set up? So this region uh, in Costa Rica called Limon, it had a 10 times higher breast cancer rate and breast cancer death rate than the rest of the region. I mean, Costa Rica, it's not a big country. You can drive across it in, a, in quite just a few hours. It's very mountainous, but certain areas are very remote and, and people who are in developing countries don't have access to get to these big cities to go for screenings. Screenings are not as important or not as enforced in developing countries. So their breast cancer rate and their and corollary, their death rate as well related to breast cancer was 10 times higher than the capital. There was no reason for it. And the only reason was because five years ago, before that, their mammography system broke down. Women stopped getting screened. And then ultimately, they wind up having a very, very advanced disease. And they wind up dying, unfortunately, because you know when you catch a disease in later stages, it's very, very hard to, to treat it effectively. It's very hard to make that decision to leave your family, to go to the capital, and not know if you're going to see them again. It was just, it's so unfortunate. And one piece of screening equipment can, can change lives. And yeah. so that's why I knew it was so important to get it to them. When did you know that this was your calling? Not just that piece of medical equipment or medical equipment for that company, but that this was something that was going to be a deeper calling. I didn't. <laughs> there was no moment where like, it's my calling. I knew I had to do something. I knew I was in a position to do something. I knew that I'm fortunate enough to have access to high-tech medical equipment, regardless where I was living in the world. I knew that I worked in the industry. I knew that there were people in need. There's a lot of I knews and I knows. I figured out how to put them all together. So it wasn't a moment. It was a moment that kept on staying with me. So I knew I had to do something about it. It wasn't like a light bulb went off, a pigeon came to my wine window. It's just, it's something that just kind of kept gnawing at me that I had to do something about it. I just, I just decided to, because I couldn't stand the gnawing any longer, quite honestly. <laughs> I love that. So was this a sale that your company made? And if so, was it deeply discounted or was this a gift? Yeah, this was a straight donation. And that's donation. how traditional philanthropy happens in the world. And so this one was the donation. It was way before I understood the whole model of philanthropy and the model of the way the world works. This was a donation straight from the company, from Hologic down to, to Costa Rica. We worked with the U.S. Department of State, the consular, uh, consular uh, affairs office down in Costa Rica. They helped us get it through customs. We obviously had tons of lawyers. We had our logistics team in, in Costa Rica managing it. We hired a truck to, to get it over the mountains and get it over there. And we had to dig power lines to make sure uh, underground that they were making sure that there was enough power to this machine. There was a lot of 
a lot of logistics and a lot of different people who are involved with this. And so certainly was not it was not me alone doing it. I was I, I was one of the team. I was the one doing a lot of coordination. There was a lot of support we had in Costa Rica um, from my team down there, especially. It just it just happened. There was a lot of people involved. And listen, like was always happy to have other people take credit for it. It was the organization also who inspired this idea, an organization who I still speak to today, 10 years later. They helped us. They do a lot of the monitoring still. They get us information. We had to work with the government of Costa Rica as well and their health ministry, you know, in developing countries. That is not an easy task at all. Yeah. We finally were able to get the, the mammography equipment down to Costa Rica, get it to where it needed to go. And it's, it's still eight, nine years later, still working, still operational, still helping women. So this piece of equipment with a lot of coordination on your part, allowing other people to get the credit, but you're in the middle of brokering with the world of diplomacy, with transportation, with local facilities and electricity. So it gets there, it gets set up, and it starts working. And Absolutely. women are getting tested, and it's all working. Yeah. So women are continuously still being screened for breast cancer. This is a mammography machine. So their breast cancer rates have gone down um, back to normal, completely in par with the rest of the com country. And so the capital has the same rates now as this really far remote region. And that's, that's what you, you obviously hope for, to continue to decrease that. So women are still getting screened for breast cancer there. And every few months, I, I, I look up the numbers because they're readily available. This one piece of screening equipment changing lives in an exponential way or a very a very large multiplier effect what what is the percentage now 10 uh, times 10 so times so yeah they were at 30 percent um they're back they're down to like three percent which wow. is normal for the country and by screening early the death rate went from 30 percent to three percent yeah how does that make you feel it, you know it's one of the greatest moments moments of my life it's wonderful. It is. I have, to, I have to remind myself to remember that, especially when I'm in the thick of everything. It's important to, it's important to remember that. It, it really is. It's, it makes me feel great. But listen, like, it's, not, it's not about me feeling great. It's about these women being able to go back to their families. And that's, that's the only reason to do any of this. This is not you know, me sitting in my schmancy apartment you know, feeling great about this in New York. This is, this is so that they can go back home. And that's great. important. You have extended the success story beyond Costa Rica and this isolated region. Tell me a little bit about that. So this idea kept gnawing at me. I left Costa Rica. I went to other countries. I came back. I worked at other different countries and companies. And so I always had this in the back of my mind. And like, why, why can't I do more? Like one piece of equipment is wonderful. But what about the rest? I worked in many companies. I have friends in all of these companies. So it's a, it's a, it's a large, small industry. We all know each other. Everybody um, interacts. And so it just kept on gnawing at me. And then years later, I started my own consulting firm. And then I just still had it. I still had it gnawing at me. And, um, and years later, I started Her Healthy Q to do more about it and actually have an organization that this is what we are focused on. So it was a couple of years and this was bothering you. Oh yeah. It was always in the back of my mind and I've spoken, you know, and worked with all my coaches and it's just, ah, I have to do something. I have to, I want to give back. I want to do more. I want to help people. 
it's not an altruistic, like I want to help people because I'm a wonderful person. I want to help people because I have a solution. You want to help? No, I wanted it- to help people because it's the right thing to do. And I have that ability to do it. So why not? It took you years to go from Costa Rica to other parts of the world. That means it wasn't easy, which leads to the question, to go from Costa Rica, to have this pause and it's gnawing at you, to get it going in other parts of the world, what were and what are some of the challenges? What's the mountain you got to climb? What's the river you got to cross? Hey, if you're enjoying Story Warriors, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever you found me. And if you're looking to sell with more success or pitch with more impact, well, that's what I do. I help solopreneurs, startups, and Fortune 500s alike sell more effectively. If you want to talk about the challenges and opportunities you're facing in driving your top line, send me an email at jack at jackvincent.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Story Warriors, the podcast for crafting great stories. To go from Costa Rica, to have this pause and it's gnawing at you, to get it going in other parts of the world, what were and what are some of the challenges? What's the mountain you got to climb? What's the river you got to cross? Well, you have to figure out all the pieces not working at a company. So that's always the the interesting part of it. You know, when you work at a company, they want to provide their pieces of equipment. It's uh, you're it's very direct. You're in there. You're in their face constantly. When you're outside of the company, having your own company, your own organization to do this, it's putting all these pieces together. I also had to figure out exactly what to focus on, who to work with, how to do it, how to pull all these pieces together, and it. It's a solution that is around in the industry, but it's, we're doing it a different way. So it makes it a little harder to A, convince people, and B, get the support for it financially and just generally at these companies, and, and also C, finding the inroads in these companies. I'm not this massive organization going in to a different developing country and saying, oh, great, we want to do this. They have people like that all the time. So we had to go in very slowly, start doing you know, small programs and projects so that we can prove ourselves. And that's, that's exactly how we started. Initially, when you said, I got to do this again, worked in Costa Rica, it should work in the rest of the world. Let me have a look at this country. And, and, and how did you identify the countries? So I never went out to identify specific countries. I know we, fo- we focus specifically on developing countries, which quite honestly is many of the countries in the world. We went through and said, who do we have connections to and contacts with who are willing to work with us in these countries? So currently we're in Jamaica, in Tanzania, in Vietnam, and in Burkina Faso. We're about to launch a program in India and in Kenya and are talking about another one in, in Mexico. These are all developing countries. And it's really, it's finding the partners as opposed to identifying the countries. I think as we continue to grow, we'll start identifying countries and finding the right partners in those countries. And I think we're getting, we're almost there because we have a lot of the right partners. And so we would just build upon what they have in some of these countries. 
and know that we're going to be a partner with them in that. But we started out finding the right people first and the right change agents as opposed to finding a country and searching for a change agent to make it work. Is the battle continuing? Is the challenge still there that you do know that there are countries out there who still need this? Is this your forever daunting and beautiful challenge? So I know that this work is going to be a long time. Well, you just explained why I don't sleep very much. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the answer is yes to all. We are all continuing to figure out which countries need this, who needs this. Every country needs this. There's not one that doesn't. There's even regions in the United States and in, in countries in Europe that need this as well. So it's not unneeded. There are more countries that need it than everything else. And quite honestly, this will be my life's work. And I hope to put myself out of a job. I do hope to. I'm just not sure that that will happen. That's always the hope. And that's, that's always what I strive for. But I'm not sure that that's going to happen because there's so many people and countries and regions in need. You hope to put yourself out of a job, very noble cause. A lot of times in leadership, it's because the team will then be there and they can self-sustain. Or you help to put yourself out of a job because one day the world will be a perfectly better place. I hope that our organization no longer exists one day because we've done our work and everybody else sees that this is the solution and that we've done the work. And that we've done it, we've, we've placed equipment in all of these different regions. Women's health is just as on par as men's health, if not better. And these non-communicable diseases are taken care of. Given the fact that I'm in my lower 40s, I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen in the next 60 years. So, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that that's going to happen. I hope that our organization no longer exists because we've done the work and we don't need to be here any longer. What lies in the way of getting that work done in the next 10 years, 20 years, 40 years? What could get in the way of that dream happening in your lifetime? It's a great question. Um, Everybody coming around the table and supporting it. So corporations supporting it, equipment manufacturers supporting it, governments supporting it, and everybody pulling together and understanding just as everyone has on communicable diseases, now focusing on non-communicable diseases, cancers, diabetes, heart disease, maternal health. These are all challenges that can be solved through the right pieces of equipment, the right pieces of diagnostics, uh, the right prevention, and the right treatment as well. So the focus that has been on communicable diseases, and it's the right path to go. You focus on communicable first, and then you go to non-communicable. But now we're at a point in our life and, and in this world that both of them are happening at the same time. They always were, but now they're happening at greater speeds and greater prevalence. And so we need to focus on both of them all together. It's exactly what the the UN General Assembly mandated several years ago. It's why the SDGs are out there as well. We're with everybody in this challenge, in this fight. We need everybody alongside us and so many other organizations. We're certainly not the only ones. We're, We're doing it a different way, but We need people all along us, alongside us to make this happen. It seems like it's been a rather smooth path, but something tells me it hasn't been all linear, that it hasn't been, 
I have this vision. It's had a few pauses, but other than that, it's just plan and execute. Have you not only had some high walls to climb over, but some rock solid walls that you've run into? Yes, daily, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. What has been a one of your biggest walls or, or what have been some of your bigger walls? So for me personally, I, I had a year or two or a year and a half where quite honestly, um, business was not going well. I was consulting. It kind of dried up. I was hoping for a few deals to go through. They didn't go through. And it was a tough year. It was a really tough year. I hit, I hit bottom. Um, I used all of my capital reserves and the capital that I did have and I was able to spend, I gave to the organization because I wanted our work to continue you know, I am also consulting at the same time. This is uh, unfortunately not a full-time, full-time thing yet. And so I'm consulting. And when consulting runs out, which happens in consulting worlds, if you don't have the right connections and contacts and deals, et cetera, you know, that's exactly what's happening. And so um, I had a year where it all dried up. I thought deals were going to close and, you know, I was broke. I was absolutely broke. And I still wanted the, the work and I still had to do the work because this is, this is my passion work. This is my work and my purpose. So that needed to keep going. But I mean, I had to think about, do I spend money on something or do I spend money on food or rent? And I'm grateful to come from a, a place of plenty. I have incredibly supportive a family. So I always knew that I could fall back on them, but I didn't want to. And so I took it very personally. Like I was, I was at the bottom. I, I, had to, I had to borrow some money. And that's not something, you know, that, that I am comfortable doing and that many people are comfortable doing. But then we turned, I turned it around, <laughs> which is always the great story. But I got that great consulting client. I realized that I used that time when I was kind of down and out and not working to build myself, to build my brand, to build the organization, to build all of these things, to build these stories, to build that up so that when things turned around, I was ready. What would you tell your younger self? What would you tell a girl, a young woman getting out of Boston University or any such institute going into engineering or just healthcare generally wanting to focus on whether it's women's health or a specific area, and combining it with philanthropy, what would you tell yourself? What would you tell her? I always think that I would tell her to go into business instead of engineering. But if, you weren't, if I wasn't in engineering, I would have never figured out the solution. And so everything that I've done has, has led me to the solution, to led me to finding how to do this. If I was just in business, I would never have figured it out. I always, you know, think, oh, I should have been a banker or a lawyer and I would have, you know, figured it out. No, I probably would have found a different passion and I would have found something else. So I wouldn't have found my passion at all. I would say stay the course, but do it with your eyes open. I had my eyes closed, focused on getting to that C-level position very quickly in a large corporation. If I didn't have my eyes open to a conversation... I wouldn't have heard this. I wouldn't have understood what was happening. And so for me, having eyes wide open while doing what you're doing allows you to see all these different things. And, and that's what I would say. Keep, keep doing whatever you want to do. Just open your eyes 
and see what else is out there. You have a really cool story. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Before I even think of letting you go, I understand you help girls and women tell their stories. Are these stories of after they've gotten through an episode with a disease or a condition? Tell me about who they are and what their stories are. Yeah, the stories that we tell, they're they're these women's stories who either we're helping or need to be helped, or they're women in the industry, as you were saying, that maybe come from these regions or have traveled to them or see the solutions and are, are change agents. They're the ones that help us do our work. The stories that we tell, they're the stories of the women. I, never t- I, I don't love to tell my story. It's, it's vanilla compared to everybody else, you know? And so I want to tell their story. They're doing the exciting work. They're doing the, the work of surviving and trying to provide for their families and working and sending their kids to school, most especially the girls. That's very important for me. They're the ones doing the work and we need to be able to allow them to tell their stories. So the reason that we're providing the equipment is so that they can tell their stories. They can tell their stories because they're healthy and that they're alive and their girls can tell their stories because they've gone to school and they have incredible jobs or they are going to university or all of these things. It's the only reason so that they can tell their story. And I don't want to tell it on their behalf either. I want them to tell their stories. I don't take me out of the equation (laughs) if possible. I want them to tell their story. And one day the story is that they were able to do this. Their girl is a Nobel Prize winner because I was healthy and I got a screening and I found something early and was able to get it treated. And I was able to send my girl to school and forward, forward, forward. She wins a Nobel Prize because she discovered whatever, hopefully the cure for cancer. So that again, we put ourselves out of a job. You have often said, I'm nobody, they're all fantastic. And that's very noble, but come on, you're doing something right. And you are in the middle of this. You are the midfielder to draw a parallel. You are the broker, and I don't even think about financial. You're the playmaker here. What is your secret? What is your methodology? What is your magic sauce? I think about philanthropy more from a corporate perspective instead of just a philanthropy and doing good. Like this is a business, and a lot of people forget that this is a business. We were a traditional nonprofit to start. Her Healthy Q, absolutely traditional nonprofit to start. But you know what? We never operated like one. I am a corporate person. I still continue to be a corporate person. We are not a 40-year-old organization who's been doing it for all this time, and we have all these traditions. We are here to innovate, and we're here to change. And we've, we've changed several times in the last several years, quite honestly. We do it differently. We take a corporate perspective We also um, really understand that corporations want to do good. We want to do good. But these countries want to do good as well. And that's the other perspective. They have to be involved in this equation. It's not giving them things, giving them equipment, and then just walking away or just leaving it to them. No, they, they are the equation. They're telling us what they need. They're telling us what they want to do. They're telling us how they're going to do it. And we're just... You know, as you said, we're an enabler. We enable them to do their job. 
what we get in return is simple. It's metrics of how many women they've helped or treated or screened. That's it. That's, that's, that, that's our reward. That's what we want as a return. Obviously, we make this revenue generating, so it does help us as well. But I'm not becoming rich because of this. That is, that is not the solution. Any money that we get returned to us goes back into our organization to do more work. And that's how investors receive their reward as well and their return. These are people, companies and investors and organizations and philanthropists that want to put their money to good use by doing something good. That's, that's, you know, that's me as the enabler. And that's what I want to do. That's why we do it differently. We're not just giving stuff away for free and saying, good luck, have fun, good luck, figure out how to use it. We provide training, we provide service, we provide maintenance, we are providing expertise when they need it. And all they have to do is give us back metrics. And that's the way that we ensure that the equipment's working. Because otherwise you just have it and you just think that it's just sitting there. On the other side of this, these developing countries, they have capital to spend on this. They don't have all the capital in the world, but they have money to spend. So what we want to do is make this fair and easy for them to help their own countrymates. We've started to phrase ourselves as a, more of a full-service distributor with service, you know, with, with an extra love. But it is bringing value and love and health to the world where it's needed and where they haven't been able to access it. Thank you. Marissa, where can people find you online? I can be found at marissafayer.com or LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, all of those. M-A-R-I-S-S-A-F-A-Y-E-R.com. Yes. Uh, you're on LinkedIn and all those places. Her Health EQ, which is our company page. So herhealtheq.org is where we are. Again, online, every social media page known to man, just to follow the work that we do. And as we continue to grow and should change, it's exciting. Marissa Fair, you are a light unto the universe and certainly to this planet. And now you're a story warrior. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jack. It was such a pleasure. Marissa Fair. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Story Warriors, the podcast for crafting great stories. If you've got something you want me to cover or an idea for an episode or any suggestions at all, I'd love to hear from you. Check out my website and send me a message at jack at jackvincent.com. Let's connect on social too. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you found me. Thanks again and hope you join me for next week's episode of Story Warriors.